Since 2009, SharesPost has been a leader in the secondary market for private company shares. With its network of 44,000 accredited investors and 150,000 members, SharesPost has transacted in more than 200 companies. Whether you're an investor or a shareholder looking for liquidity, SharesPost has a solution for you. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on Equity, more money for Instacart, a slew of enterprise IPOs, Uber officially buys Jump Bikes, and a new initiative for female founders. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Katie Roof. My colleague Matthew Lindley is off today. Crunch-based news editor-in-chief Alex Wilhelm. Hello. And our special guest today is Kara Nortman, who's in town from L.A., where she's a general partner at Upfront Ventures. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, um, some fun news. Instacart, which we've talked about many times on the podcast, but somehow they're they're still chugging along. They raised a lot more money. A bunch Uh, more money. (laughs) <laughs> a, a, a truckload of more money. So they've raised $150 million more as part of their Series E, bringing the total to $350 million, which before the unicorn era was like an entire Series A-focused fund that they just kind of just into their own bank accounts. That's impressive to me. You could almost call it a web van full of more money. Oh, wow. That, only if you want to be snarky and rude and get tweets the next day would you say something like that. <laughs> and, and for those of you who weren't alive 20 years ago or, or, or sentient, but that was the kind of the symbol of the dot-com bust, that company that delivered groceries and got overvalued and um, things just didn't turn out very well. But we are in a new era. And Instacart is delivering groceries. I ordered from Instacart last night, so <laughs> as a consumer, I like it because I'm lazy, and I, it helps me be lazy. I don't have to carry grocery bags, so that's that's nice. But I, I feel like now I go one step further. Like Instacart requires works, and I just go straight to Uber Eats, and I'm like, just bring me the ingredients already made into food. Alex, you are the cliche of a San Francisco male right now. <laughs> Cooking for one is not great. Cooking for two is a blast, and I live alone. Um, but uh, $4.35 billion post-money valuation, which is uh, up, of course, a little bit more from their uh, earlier 4.2. It's a lot of money for Instacart. There's a lot of pressure on this company. How do we think that the bull case looks for Instacart moving forward? And so I've recently been... Someone someone talked to me about the bull case for Instacart, and I guess you know for a while it looked bleak because look, Amazon bought Whole Foods, and Amazon basically seems like it's taking over the world. But now there's like this anti-Amazon coalition going on, where all the grocery stores are incentivized to keep Instacart in business, and so you have a whole bunch of b- bunch of grocery stores that want to work with Instacart. So that I think is why they're able to do this here because. Uh, I mean, Amazon technically can't have a monopoly, and not everyone shops from Whole Foods, so there are what? other options. There's <laughs> other options than Whole, like Trader Joe's, I guess. But what but else? Trader Joe's what, what is on Instacart. There's a right. history there, but that's true. But everything else, kind <laughs> of, for the most part, is teaming up with Instacart. Is there going to be a other type of anti-Amazon coalition that's not grocery stores? Because I feel like Instacart could do more than just grocery delivery. They had the, the network that could kind of be more broad in terms of what they bring to your house. And this is an unofficial coalition. I mean, just more <laughs> more or less, people recognize that Amazon is a competitive threat to the industry. And so they're kind of coming together. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting when you look at, you know, kind of some of the macro just stats around groceries. So there's a half a trillion dollars spent in the United States on groceries and um, only 20 billion of that or so is online. And so if you look at um, just this coalition, if you look at the biggest players, they, you know, they, they have, they have revenue, they have revenue that is not being, you know, that is not moving online in, in isolation. And so it's, um, I think, you know, it's the fourth largest spend category 
category for consumers. And so you're, yeah, it's a, it's a smart, I mean, you can see why money is being attracted to Instacart as the anti-Amazon competitor with a ton more resources in the real world, 40,000 doors versus Whole Foods, 400 doors. Um, so I think there is a case to be made for the, the bull market. Yeah, what's the TAM for food? There's a lot of the, food the, out there. A lot of people eat a lot of food. food is, the market opportunity yeah, is big. I'm, I'm currently <laughs> hungry, and therefore I am part of the TAM. Um, but the, the, the bear case, though, is that the unit economics are tough, and that delivery is hard to do, and that groceries are hard to pick and pack, and that things melt, or they get or they un Sounds like you've had some bad experiences with Instacart. <laughs> More Blue Apron, but that's not in the past. We don't have to stomp on them anymore. No, but I mean, it, it, it is a complex problem, and it's hard to do well. And so I'm curious if Instacart can deliver the same quality experience they did with the Whole Foods integration they had in store across that many individual partners and therefore bring the same level of quality to the market. Because if they can't, it's not quite as good and it's still going to be relatively pricey. Well, we had the former Eat24 CEO on the show, um, Mike Gaffari, who's now at Social Capital, and he was pointing out that the average order volume for groceries is high. So that's nice in the case of Instacart because, um, you know, your delivery person is, you know, there's more revenue coming in to Instacart per delivery person than, say, DoorDash. But, you know, a DoorDash investor pointing out, pointed out to me, but people who love DoorDash will order DoorDash more often than people who use Instacart. So whatever. But I mean, that that is, I guess, the benefit for groceries is that um, it, it, theoretically people aren't going to just order a few items when they grocery shop. Well, because. this is this is one of those categories where capital is a huge advantage because it is so low margin and so high repeat that, you know, the LTVs and the business model machinations will take a very long time to play out. But um, so their ability to raise capital and be perceived as the main Amazon competitor is a moat. Right. And so um uh, I think you you rightly point out that most other categories in prepared food and others make their money back much faster than I imagine Instacart does. I mean, groceries in general are a low margin, high volume business, and so is Amazon. I mean, that was Amazon. You know, for a while didn't make any money, but people bet on the future, and it eventually did. So. Uh, Clearly, some investors believe that is the case with Instacart, but it remains to be seen because clearly there are a lot of delivery options out there, and you know, especially with Uber getting into the the delivery business. I mean, in, Instacart is not alone, and no, we have and Postmates, DoorDash, and some are more focused on meals, but a lot of them can do groceries as well. So for sure, but I mean, just to, to keep in mind the scale of capital, it's not just three hundred and fifty million dollars; it's about a billion dollars now total going into Instacart. So the yeah. the bet here. This now anti-Amazon bet, ironically, uh, is is simply tectonic. And so if this goes if this goes the way of the the dodo, buffalo, whatever you want, I wonder if you can ever make this souffle rise a third time in the startup market. Uh, but it's money from Andreessen, Sequoia, Kleiner, Whole Foods, ironically, and now Kotu. So like this is this is and a, a myriad of others, frankly. So it's it's massive. And I think they'll only um, be competitive with Amazon really in urban areas. I'm not convinced that Instacart is a solution for for the suburbs, or certainly not for rural. areas. Areas, which is a large part of America. So, if you think about it, though, they 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 always have the backup option of you know vertically integrating with one or two of the big supermarket companies, and and it is super, it is very interesting that the supermarket companies are disintermediating themselves from the consumer because they are so afraid of Amazon. So it's, that's true. That's a great point. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of options for how like Instacart could become the next generation Catalina and become a loyalty and consumer company. It could become a next generation Albertsons. It could become you know a 
a bunch of different things. So I think there are a lot of options for how it evolves. Well, it's a lot of money, and uh, Katie's keeping them in business. So there you go. <laughs> stuff all around. Me, single-handedly, with all the stuff I'm eating. Um, yum. But, so, well, speaking of, well, so actually, for people who buy groceries regularly through Amazon Prime, that's a subscription business. And then there's another company that's betting that there's going to be a lot more subscription businesses and that they're going to help with all of them. That is Zuora. They went public today. I talked to the CEO all about it. Uh, basically, they feel like they invented the term subscri- subscription economy a long time ago and that uh, that it just is an easier business model and that across so many different industries that more companies are going to sw- switch to subscriptions and that Zora is going to be the one to help them process those <laughs> transactions and that they're going to get more. So basically they help uh, companies f- keep tabs on revenue and, and various other metrics through subscriptions. But um, yeah, so the company did well, though, when it went public. Um, it priced at 14 and then closed at 20. And that was after that was above the range. They were expecting it to be 9 to 11. And then they raised the range. But basically, it did a lot better than it expected. So that's good for them. Yeah, I was I was shocked. This company is not it's not MuleSoft. You know, like if you look at some S1s from the last like 18 months that were super great, this was not the one that I was like, yeah. Like I, I did a little math on this. Like 44% of their last year's revenue growth was from services. And they have gross margin negative services. So all that services revenue that, that they got just implies that they don't make any money off of that. Um, their uh, gap that income fell again, and their subscription growth rate wasn't that great for their valuation. And then, best of all, now they're worth like $2 billion. It's like a 12x trailing revenue multiple of which like a third is like gross margin negative services revenue. So like I don't get why this company did so well. Good job. Yay. Well, you know, but. enterprise tech IPOs have done really well in general. And so uh, IPO investors, people who are following that space, they, they look at it kind of in broader terms sometimes. And, they, and they've seen um, that a lot of these venture-backed enterprise IPOs have done well. And so they're placing a bet here. I think that's, that's a large part of it. And um, also, you know, millennials like us, although I'm like, <laughs> Alex, who admitted he doesn't really use a lot of subscriptions, but a lot of millennials do like subscriptions. I have way too many subscriptions. I've gone through and I'm like, do I need a box for every little thing every month? Like, I don't know. Like, I I have, <laughs> you know, makeup boxes, clothes boxes, like all sorts of things that are subscriptions that come to my apartment, which is fine. But, um, you know, I, I think some millennials like myself are getting a little carried away with all these subscriptions. But as a result, there are a lot of subscription businesses that could potentially be customers of Zora. True, true. And, you know, I, I don't know if I said this on the show a while ago, but, like, I recall reading a print magazine about technology when I was a wanton youth, and I had, like, 2008 or whatever, and uh, they were mentioning Zora and subscriptions, how this was going to be the next big thing, and I'm like, that's stupid. I don't want that. I just want to buy things. And so, like, now, 10 years later, whatever the hell it is, uh, I was wrong. But I, I still hold that this company's valuation compared to its economics does either indicate a huge surge of optimism in the public markets or a lack of sophistication when people look at the big picture and don't drill down into the actual mechanics of the revenue we're talking about because not all revenue is equal. All right. Wow. I'm spicy (laughs) about this one. I care. I mean, they only had uh, $88 million in gross profit in, like, fiscal 18, right? And that's less than their fiscal 16 operating expenses. That's weird. That's a weird way to run a business this old and going public, I feel. 
Yeah, you know, this is, I mean, I, the macro of subscription, you know, kind of as a, a model market is still in its nascent phases. So um, while I am not an expert on this company, um, that we have seen a lot of companies on the early stage side doing all sorts of things around subscriptions, helping you manage them, unsubscribe from them, pay for them in aggregate. And, and actually, when you sit on the board of a lot of subscription companies, which we all do, you realize the accounting in the back end is a challenging part. And a lot, a lot more companies will begin experimenting with that. So perhaps they are in a transitional moment from services revenue to high margin SaaS revenue. I mean, one would hope so, but there's actually <laughs> been a bit of a movement on uh, companies that do kind of like meta SaaS management for large corporations. So maybe what we need for Katie and all of her boxes is like <laughs> meta SaaS management just for consumers. Yeah. So, I mean, because it's a poly- whole host of companies just for Katie that we're going to fund coming out of this podcast, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, I mean. There's someone in the room who could fund them. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I like subscriptions. What can I say? But no, actually, so they have competition, though. That, that's the thing. So even if the category itself grows, they compete with Oracle and SAP and also like Charge B and Chargeify and there's a lot of stuff happening in this space. So Stripe kind of, I guess, to some extent. Yeah. It's it's a huge category. But to their credit, I mean I can't take it away from them. They crush today. Like if you raise your your range and then price above it and then open at twenty when you price at fourteen, that's probably about as good as your first day can go. So I mean close it at twenty. Great, yeah, no, great, I mean, great, great news great, for tech. Open opened and close at twenty. So Wow. So yeah, good day for Zuora and good day for IPOs in general. We had, I mean, just good week for IPOs in general. We had Carbon Black's filing, which, which you wrote about, Alex. So tell us what that was. Uh, yes, and I'm frantically scrolling back to what I wrote about Carbon Black. Um, so the company... Security company. Yes, uh, security company. And I didn't actually know what they did. There's a lot of the graphics in their S1 that are particularly vibrant and colorful. Um, I wrote a lot of jokes about them that are pulled from my piece by someone smarter <laughs> than me. Uh, but the rough gist is they did $162 million in uh, revenue last year, of which services was less than $13 million. Uh, lots of gross profit up year over year and a bit of an increasing net loss on a gap basis. Uh, and then there's some interesting stuff about the accretion of preferred stock to redemption value. What that kind of worked out was, if you read really deep into the S1, it was just um, different preferred shares had non-cash expenses that accrued to the books. And so what, what it does is make their last, their two years ago numbers look better, but they actually weren't in an operational basis. Um, that's a bit more of a nuance than people probably care about. It's a pretty cool company. Um, they grew... 39.4% in the last year, down from 64.7% the year before, and uh, they're going to go public. And given Zawara's reception, I bet you $5 that it goes kind of okay. Yeah, and this is a pretty... I That's mean, a big bet. <laughs> well, five, $5. Well, I mean, this is why Things I don't... Things could get out of hand I here. don't trade stocks for a reason. I, that bet has not been taken. <laughs> I will not say by whom in the room, but now I'm officially going to lose $5. <laughs> Um, is, I mean, this is a space that um, that I've spent some time in, and um, and I think o- overall this is it, this will be interesting because uh, there are a number of competitors in this space. Um, you know, kind of endpoint security and application security is one of the biggest, you know, probably macro growth areas that I think VCs are looking at these days, and a bunch of convergence happening between IT and security, et cetera. Um, but they are also not without um, a number of competitors. There are four or five big competitors. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. There are a bunch of antivirus companies as well who could be acquirers of the company. So it's kind of, it's an interesting statement um, going out and saying they want to be permanent uh, because it is definitely a space where there's a lot going on. So uh, so then the obvious question is, are they dual tracking here? Are they doing this to potentially, what that means is... For Yeah, for our audience who may, may or may not know, is a lot of companies, while they're on the road to IPO, are also entertaining acquisition offers. Actually, we hear that most companies at, <laughs> at least discuss this possibility 
quietly because because the IPO can give you leverage. Yeah. The IPO can can the filing can say, look, here's what we're going to be worth basically when we go public, and so uh, we can walk away from your acquisition offer. And so it's a good time to get better offers as App Dynamics did. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of the stand-in moment right now. App Dynamics did it pre-IPO, and then MuleSoft kind of did it post-IPO uh, a little bit late, but same kind of idea. Like, what can you get for this business? And I think the way this although was, App Dynamics hmm. technically didn't dual track according to people close to the company who want you to know that they were actually serious about going public. That just came at the 11th hour. That, sound, that worked out. That just sounds like she didn't break up with me. I broke up with her. Ha! Like, I, well, whatever. Really, okay. Whatever. Technically, they didn't formally dual track anyway, but... How can you formally dual track? It's a what, back channel. Well, yeah, it's a formal, informal, mm, informal Bankers formal. may or may not be out there like actively okay, soliciting offers or that's not. Valid. I take that back. So, but, but yeah, I mean, who knows? We'll see what happens there. But in general, like, you know, there's so many security companies that have gone public and I'm not entirely sure that everyone who who invests in them knows what they do. Sometimes people just buy up a bucket of security stocks because they're hot on the category and they feel that security itself is an important business because it is. I mean, obviously, we need to keep our stuff secure. There's been a lot of hacking. There's been all sorts of things. And so um, I think that there's just a lot of people bullish on security in general. But uh We'll see how Carbon Black specifically does. Yes, more news on that to come. But and uh, I had heard rumors to your point. Yes, that they might be entertaining acquisition offers, but those were only rumors. Did so. you hear any? Not confirmed rumors, but any, I, I actually had heard that. Any dollar amounts attached to those no, rumors? No, I have Katie? not. I have not ah. heard specifics. So, Alas. but who knows? It could just be rumors. Could just be rumors. Could Rum- be smoke. Could be fire. real. Who knows? Um, but then also there's Pivotal, which had news this week. We've talked about them a little bit on the podcast already, but we'll we'll give them a mention because they yeah. they acknowledged what did they they changed their they their set range. their pricing yeah. uh, fourteen to sixteen dollars a share, and then um, there's some nuance in terms of which shares are being sold by the company themselves. So it's thirty three point one million without the green shoe offering, which is another five and a half million. So if you just look at the th- the thirty three point one, it's about uh, two hundred and uh, I can't do, I can't do math in my head. The company will be valued <laughs> between roughly three and three and a half billion if you don't take into account uh, a fully diluted share count. That's I'm saving you a bunch of random numbers. That's kind of what it means. Thanks, Alex. Got you back. Because <laughs> um, I, I don't want to bore everybody. Um, and so the the you're fun- boring never. Sometimes, um, but uh, if, Shane, you, if you look at the, dude, I'm already engaged. I don't give a shit. I don't have to be interesting ever again in my life. Um, but what matters to me here about this company is if you look at their uh, last uh, year's revenue at that three to three and a half billion dollar valuation, it's about a six to seven uh, x trailing revenue multiple. But the company is half services, so half of their revenue comes from services, which in this case are actually gross margin positive, positive to their credit. But it's not that high value subscription revenue that we look for from software companies that generate that kind of revenue multiple. So I think that they are shooting for a slightly rich valuation to their credit, um, and I'm excited to see how the market reacts to that because it should give us an idea of the sentiment out there uh, among public investors for private tech companies, and that'll help us guide uh, looking at everyone else in the market today. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. I was saying to Katie, I think this company is almost as old as Katie. Um, we can't say my exact age on the podcast, <laughs> but 
Um, <laughs> she was trying to say that Pivotal was really old. I think that's no, what she was No, not <laughs> at all. Shame. Gosh, I mean, I'm much older than Pivotal. Um, but uh, but I'd be curious. If you, uh, you know, I actually, I'm a former customer of Pivotal. When I worked at IAC, we used um, Pivotal to build some of our apps. But uh, do you guys look at this as a company that probably couldn't access a huge amount of growth capital in the private markets um, because it's been around a long time and has sort of a bunch of different lines, and so that's why it's going out? I think, yeah. I mean, when, when was Pivotal founded anyways? We'll have to figure that out. I but think it was 89. I, I, it was in 89. It was bought by, you know, it's part, it's, it's it, it part was, of the, uh, the EMC. It was founded in 89. I believe so. That's the year I was born. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. So it's <laughs> as old. I used to like to say my parents were as old as Israel. This company is as old <laughs> my as dad Alex. My was born the year that Israel was born. There you but go. In other news. You go. So, I mean, <laughs> Jewish humor. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> bringing this back gently, just bringing us back. The reason why I think it's going public is that it consumes oceans of cash, and people don't want to give it any more cash. So in uh, it's fiscal 17 so the year ending february of 2017 it's operating expenses alone consumed 166 million in cash and then its next fiscal year that closed this february was 116 million in cash on an operating basis those are large amounts of money for a company that just got to the half billion revenue mark of which again half is services so how much more money do you want to invest in a company that's half just people talking and half software I mean, it's, it's a lot of dollars to commit. So hopefully the public markets will give them what they need to get through this. But I mean, this company is still very unprofitable and also just just takes a lot of fuel to keep going. And that's only so attractive. And that makes their um, price range very interesting to me. I don't want to be positive or negative because I don't really care. It's not like I'm in my Vanguard 500 or whatever. But it's I'm really excited to see what um, people that do invest in IPOs do with this. That's going to be fascinating. You know, this is all positive news, though. You have a lot of different kinds of companies, different ages, stages, amounts, models, doing what they used to do all the time back when I started in venture. And, um, you know, it's a kind of a nice growing up process that wasn't available until recently. So I view it as, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely exciting for the whole kind of venture and startup ecosystem. Yeah, it's good to have so many IPOs now that I actually get them a bit mixed up in my head. That's great. That, That's good news. Because in 2017, 2016, Katie and I could list them on like one hand. It was not that many companies going well, out. Well, springtime was active last year. That's IPOs true. like spring. I don't know. They just they like to come out. It's IPO season. Um, but again, there's going to be quite a few in the next the next month or so. So that will keep things fun. Um, but speaking of fun, remember when I told you last week that I broke the story that Uber was going to buy jump bikes? Well, Uber, of course, said that I was right, and Yay, they announced Katie. that they were that they were buying jump bikes. I just needed to, you know, tell my she's brushing dirt t- off her shoulder as we speak. Right now. Katie, write yourself into the book of life. It is important. That's right. More more Jewish jokes. My God. Um, and Anyway, so... Oh, so, I just got that. So, um, so, anyways, Uber bought jump bikes. Uh, for those of you who don't wander by the South Park area of San Francisco, these are bikes that you can order through Uber. Um, and, well, it used to be that they weren't owned by Uber, but they had an integration with Uber where you can sign up to get bikes for two dollars for every 30 minutes it will show you the nearest bike they're dockless bikes uh, so they can be left wherever and then they the gps helps you find where they are and you can just unlock them with a pin so it's really easy when you're in a hurry to just find a bike and go for it uh there are a lot of competitors, uh, quite a few um, bikes and scooters all over this area. I mean, there's like Lime Bike and Bird. I guess you guys invested in Bird, can't, but I don't, I don't know how much you can say about it. But um, this whole 
mobility alternatives space is huge right now. Yes. And VCs are throwing lots and lots and lots of money at all of this. And Uber wanted to buy Jump before it got too big. I'm too I, expensive. I, I want to admit how much I like the little scooters because they've been helpful to my day to day life. And Did you get here on a scooter, Alex? No, I tried to. I actually ended up walking from the Chronicle. But like yesterday, last week when I left the uh, this show, I'm like, I'm going to take a scooter and hope I don't die. And I, I did. I survived. And I've taken them, I think, two other times since then. Because I just I've need seen... to get around because Uber's in SF where there's bad traffic. My office is in Fidei. Like, you can't get anywhere. So you get on a scooter and you look like a real dork, but you go pretty quick. And so I... I've... I got to say, yeah. I've seen multiple people almost die on them, though. Like, seriously, like, it would be funny, except that, like, people, like, right, we joked on this last week on the podcast, and then, like, an hour later, I was, like, in an, like, in an Uber or something, maybe it was a Lyft back, and I saw someone, like, completely trip over his bird scooter in an intersection and, and almost get killed. So, he didn't get killed. He's, he's safe. He's fine. Everything is all, everything is okay. And then today, someone also almost rode in to the Uber I was in. So, I mean, be careful Don't out there on your scooters, scoot. people. Um, but I'm, I'm going to take a, a Lime scooter back to my office after this, so I really hope I don't become the third person. Can we, can we get you on a bird scooter, perhaps? Um, new. No, okay. because one of my friends works for Lime, and so I feel I feel, oh. I feel like I have to be loyal. I mean, just an old college friend of mine, but like you know, I mean, like which costs more, bird or lime? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm sure our guest does. I don't know the answer to that either because <laughs> lime is cheaper. Yes, because we don't wait. Which one gets you lime there faster? Scooter, lime scooters just showed up uh, yesterday in Los Angeles, as far as I can tell. Kara's here from Los Angeles. Oh, by yes, the way, she's yes. in NorCal, which is like enemy territory. Kind no, of. no, kind no, of. no, no, she's no. Here a lot. No, I'm here every week. I'm uh, I'm a lover of both both NorCal and SoCal. Um, well, well I, I was in San Diego last weekend, and I'm really sad that I didn't take a photo because I was like at this bar and I was overlooking. And all I could see out the window were bikes and scooters. So they have overtaken San- downtown San Diego as well. Uh, even Maybe even more saturated than the, the South Park area. So it was kind of impressive how many bikes and scooters I saw out of the corner of my eye. But uh, it's a thing. Yeah, a thing I mean, that is happening everywhere. I mean, I think the interesting thing about the whole trend, well, one, this is where you can give a shout out to Southern California. I mean, it is, it's sort of where the automobile culture began, the surfing culture, the, so, and, and brand and these little mini billboards running around, I think will end up uh, being, being a factor, battery charging networks, all these different things that are sort of, um, you know, part of what will enable the company that wins to wins. But it really is a neighborhood by neighborhood kind of street fight right now. And so um, the interesting thing about seeing this, you know, the re- one of the reasons we got excited about birds, we just saw we saw the way people were using birds in, in Venice and Santa Monica and then popping up in Beverly Hills and all over the place. And um, and you see very different people on 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 scooters in San Francisco versus L.A. Like, like here they are VCs. Maybe maybe they're like they're te- almost it's, 50 it's, it's and they're technical. on the scooters and yeah. then maybe they're, they're a little younger, I'm guessing. Well, it's, it's just look, I mean, it just it really reflects the neighborhood. And I think, you know, here you see four or five different logos, you know, and different logos. Every week I'm up here, I see different logos in South Park. Yeah. Um, I uh, saw someone on a unicycle last week. It was well, an ex- electric unicycle. Come on. Come on. <laughs> 
I haven't seen that VCs sounds, investing in that, that yet. That sounds like a, a viral marketing. <laughs> no, he was, it was. He like seemed like he was just yeah. chugging along in his, his electric unicycle, like it was normal. How much self confidence do you, I know we're off topic? Like, how much self confidence do you have to have to be like, "Eff it, I'm going to ride along on my motorized unicycle because I don't need any more friends." But are these fads? That's the thing. Is this just for now? Like, scooters are cool for now, kind of, and then next year, I, like, they'll be so uncool. Like, then, then you've thrown a lot of money at these businesses, and they're not cool anymore. There seems to be something pretty magical about the scooter experience. What um, is it? It's just, it's fun. It's easy. You're not, you know, you can wear a skirt. I mean, I, I see women in L.A. Can dressed, you, though? Like, dressed how fast in couture are you going on, scoo- on, on scooters? I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I would no, wear a skirt on a scooter. I, but you actually, I see women in, in dresses holding heels, riding, riding their birds. Holding bird. their heels. Okay, yeah. Because I was like, how does this work if I'm wearing heels, like, I don't know. If see, I'd we like, are close I'd like to trip. users, Katie. We see the real over. people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no one wears heels in San Francisco uh, other than me sometimes. But um, so <laughs> I wasn't wasn't really sure how Not that would work. Better. But but um, yeah, you know, you, maybe yeah, maybe I'll carry my heels. I was with a bunch of uh, LA high schoolers yesterday, and they a couple of them were telling me that they now make a couple hundred bucks a weekend charging bird scooters. So the other charging th- birds, they will literally go around in their parents' cars and pick up bird scooters take them to their house, charge them, and get them, right? Because the battery life is the, it, they need to be charged every single day. Um, and so- Why doesn't Bird charge their own scooters? Because they're everywhere, right? They're distributed. And mm, so- It's too hard. So, I mean, by the way, these are going to be the interesting things that plays out. If you can build a charging, like a motivated, you know, gig force to go charge your scooters, that may be the hardest thing You just to gave like. someone a startup idea. I'm sure <laughs> someone listening to this podcast cool. is going to start a charging, a scooter charging business and then ask you to invest. Yeah. <laughs> all, all I'll say is that the, the fun point you made is totally accurate. Because when you get on a scooter- and like here in Soma, it's pretty flat. So whenever I get on one, I can kind of go pretty quick. Um, and you kind of kick off and you push the little lever down. It doesn't go very fast, but all of a sudden you feel like a gosh darn superhero. Like, wee! And then you realize you look like you on a scooter. But like if you don't think about how you actually appear to the outside world, it's a blast. And I'm going to take one back to my Alex, office. I'm sure you look amazing to the outside world winging around on a scooter. I, no, I've seen myself in a mirror stationary. It doesn't get better <laughs> when I'm in motion, I don't think. I think it would actually be a net negative already from a zero out of ten. Anyways. Well, bikes are not going out of style. They've been around forever. So sure. I think that at least bikes... Um, maybe there's a market opportunity there. But, the, you know, the one other thing about it being a fad that people wonder, beyond it being a fad that people wonder about, is uh, the possibility that, um, you know, SoftBank could pick a winner here, that SoftBank could throw a ton of money at one and then push the competitors out of business. Or, um, yeah, just in general, like, there are so many competitors, even if you believe in the market, even if you believe scooters are going to be around for a while, who is going to prevail? Because maybe there are only going to be one or two or three major players, but probably not as many as there are. But um, Alex is writing to me that we have been talking too long and we have one more important topic to talk about. So uh, we are here with Kara, who was on the cover of Forbes magazine because she's a huge deal. And um, she and several other lovely ladies in the venture capital industry have launched a new initiative called All Raise. And um, they have some news, but just just in general, will you tell our listeners what All Raise is all about? Yeah, All Raise is an initiative by uh, initially by 30 plus uh, women in venture and now hope Hopefully every woman in venture and our male allies and female founders and everybody else who's excited about this mission to 
um, double the number of female founders funded in the next five years and double the number of check writing women in venture or women in venture in general in the next 10 years. Because there aren't very many. For people who haven't been following the stats, I mean, in terms of female venture partners, it's well under 10%. Um, I mean, it's really more like 7%, something like that, in terms of, of female venture partners out there. So there's been a lot of talk, but there hasn't been a lot of actual action. And um, so you guys are helping, or you what ladies are helping to put the money where where your mouth is and helping make sure this actually happens. And then in terms of venture backed startups too, there's very few women getting funded. You know, I've seen I've seen it in numbers and it varies, but I mean I think we're talking 10, 15 percent uh, of, of startups funded have a, a female partner, depending on how you how you measure startups in the space. But um, so yeah, I mean that it's good to see that there's an effort there um, being made by powerful ladies like yourselves. Um, who are, who are making it your mission to make this happen. So what? how are you going to make this happen? Yeah, well, th- I mean, thanks, Katie. It's been really am- amazing and probably one of the, you know, most um, energizing and exciting things I've done in my life, um, working alongside all of these other women and not talking about, you know, hey, can you fund my deal or this? And really just sort of like trying to do something bigger than that has been awesome. It all started with the dinner. I don't think any of us knew what we were doing initially. And then um, as we started pushing out initiatives, uh, it really took on a life of its own and, Many of us have put in hundreds of hours. Um, it started by Aileen Lee at a dinner. It was pretty incredible. And so what we're trying to... We like Aileen. Tell her that someday she yeah. should be on the podcast. Oh, the, I will tell Aileen. And Jess Lee also shipped our first product, really, which was Female Founder Office Hours. And the second version of that launched yesterday. That's a really great example of an initiative um, to specifically get more women funded. And it's, it's, it's basically how do you create a safe space to get together initially with VCs in the real world in many cities and just kind of get some advice on whatever your next round of funding is. And uh, today we actually announced um, the second version of that. And we have 120 plus female founders who have raised anywhere from seed rounds to to Series E, F type rounds. So Julia Hartz from Eventbrite and Katrina Lake from Stitch Fix, the house, kind of you name it, are coming in. And these female founders will mentor, if you've raised a Series E, you can mentor somebody who's raising a Series D. And the idea is the more we build, um, we bring in kind of founders to mentor to founders, every time you raise as a founder, you will pay it forward. So that's one example. We had another one that launched recently that we were very much, did a lot of work, but behind the scenes around cap table diversity, um, uh, the the um, Founders Pledge, Founders for Change Pledge, which is when you're raising around, think about the diversity of the firm that you're bringing in. Think about bringing in angel groups that have some diversity. And so there are a number of initiatives like that, and it's all organized under All Raise. And um, hopefully everyone listening will want to be a part of it and support its efforts because it should make us all better. Awesome. Well, thank you for tuning in. Come back next week. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickavet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday. Equity.